otherwise known as an episode pretty close to the end of the season because this is 18 and we're planning on doing 22 for season one so i feel like we've gone through a transformation we started with like half hour long episodes with just me being boring and we've evolved into so much more like mostly huh oh like one of those magic schoolgirl animes oh like sailor moon I was gonna say it's mostly a transformation of me sitting here at a microphone and not going, uh, and, um, I'm nervous. You know, the nervousness has kind of dissipated a little bit. That's nice. And you're here, that's a big transformation. Yeah. Like, first you weren't, now you are. You're like Harry Houdini. Poof. I'm here, now you gotta deal with it. That should be the mantra of my life. You're here in my life, and now I have to deal with it until I die. You're it was my choice. Well. It was my choice, really. I don't know if the microphone just picked that up, but are you okay? Yeah, that was my spine cracking. Yeah, okay. I don't know if it, I don't know if you guys can hear, but um, his back cracks a lot. It's a problem. Yeah, my my job is all physical labor. At least you have a job. See, spinning it around. That's true. Being I, I optimistic. Am, I am blessed in in that regard. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk Bigfoot. Loch Ness Monster. Mothman. Do you know what they all have in common? Um, we are still hunting them down to this day. Yeah, but they're also all cryptids. And also, none of them are today's topic. What? I know, but I... We might get to them eventually. But we are doing a cryptid episode today, so celebrate. We're mentally hunting down two cryptids that pretty much don't have really anything in common. They're just really cool. And I didn't find a whole lot to fill up a full episode on just one. So we're gonna do a two-for-one special here. There we go. Everyone likes combination plates. It's like a BOGO. Buy one, get one. You know, you you come here for one cryptid, you get two. Double the flavor, double the fun. What? Are you gonna get us sued with, like, taglines for stuff? Oh, is that a tagline? I don't know. I probably heard it from somewhere, but I I don't remember where it came from. Maybe there's like a statute of limitations and it's been so long since anybody's used it that, you know, we just won't get sued. It's fine. Anyway, welcome back. And if you're here for the first time, welcome to Crime and Theory, a podcast dedicated to everything outside the parameters of normal. We are your hosts, Ashley. And Aaron. So Aaron, we are going all over the world today. All while sitting here at this microphone. Magic. Magic. Where in the world are we going? Well, Carmen San Diego. <laughs> I love Carmen San Diego. She's such an underrated character. No, right. Like, I wish they would bring the games back from when we were kids. Those were great. That would be pretty cool. But to answer your question, we're going to a country that I am terrified of. There's a few of those. No, there's really just one. No, you're right. There's a few, but not because of, like, war or horrible crimes committed against people just nature. It's a country I'm afraid of because of their nature. Specifically spiders. Oh, I didn't, no one likes a spider. No, we're going to Australia. Oh! See why I'm afraid of the spiders. Okay. Yeah. So if you're from Australia and you're listening, please understand, I would love to come visit your country and, uh, I have no problem with Australia as a country. I am just the biggest arachnophobe and knowing how toxic your spiders are, I wouldn't wind up with really cool powers like in the MCU. No, I would just wind up dead, and I don't want to wind up dead yet. But I feel like it's less of a problem than I'm really thinking of in my head, because, I mean, Australia has a huge population. I'm more concerned about their caterpillars. Oh. I guess if we ever go to Australia, we can just, like, go and stay in the city. Seems safer there. We just won't go out into the world of nature. If, If we go there... I'm going to wear, get a, a pair of those uh, sandals that uh, are made out of wood. Like the Yoldi, like Japan Samurai. Okay. Also, you're uh, elevated off the ground a little bit? I'm elevated off the ground okay. a little bit. And it's thick piece of wood. So nothing can pierce through it. Right, but it's sandals, so it could come on top of your foot. Yeah. Mm. There's fault there. But didn't think that through. Yeah. We'll work it. Don't worry about it. We'll workshop it. But we're also going to France. Oh. Wooden clogs. That's what we're going to go for. Wooden clogs. I was talking about France now, but okay. 
Oh, you're talking about like Holland, where you? Yeah. But that's like shoes. open in the back, isn't it? So. No, no, it's. <laughs> okay, we'll just make you a a wooden suit, a full wooden suit with like breathing holes. How's that sound? Yeah. Okay. Or an Iron Man suit, you know. Why not just a beekeeper uniform? But they still, bees can still. Bees don't get up under their. But they still sting through it. Well, we're not even talking about bees. I'm saying you can wear a beekeeper suit to keep the spiders out. I'm worried about the caterpillars. Okay, we'll wear a beekeeper suit to keep the caterpillars out. But they can still sting Why are we arguing about this? Let's talk about France. Anyway. French toast. Literally did not come from France. What? You know that the French migrated from France to, like, Canada and New Orleans, so... There's a cryptid here in the States that originated over in France back in Yodi days that we're also going to discuss today. That's neat. I know. So today we are taking a look at the bunyip from Australia. You guys, honestly, this thing's terrifying, but you can't say it and frown. Like it instantaneous smiling when you say the word bunyip. Try it. Just try it. Say repeat after us. Bunyip. bunyip. And then we're going to discuss the Rougarou. Say it with us. Rougarou. You also can't frown. See, that's what they really have in common. Because if you get killed by either of these cryptids, at least you'll die smiling saying their name. Okay, you ready? Let's do it. All right, let's get started. So before we start, as we do every week, all information for this first half of the episode was collected from Wikipedia, or if you watch Community like we do and listen to the obscenities out of Pierce's mouth, it's Wikipedia. Um, paranormal. I love that. <laughs> Paranormalencyclopedia.com. It's actually Paranormal-Encyclopedia if you actually want to look that up. Thoughtcatalog.com and yaoiehunters.com.au. Oh, that's a neat name. Do you know what a yowie is? It's, no. It's like Australia's Bigfoot. Oh. Yeah, they have a bunch of cryptids. So I think like if we do a Bigfoot episode, we can talk about the yowie too. All right. Erin, you already know this, but to you guys listening, I don't like bodies of water, mostly because I can't swim. I have a fear of drowning. And uh, this cryptid, you know, it lives in slash near bodies of water. So if it wasn't scary on its own, the fact that it could just, you know, drown you if it so chose doesn't ease my fears at all. No, no. So the bunyip. <laughs> I can't say it and frown. It's a creature that dates back to Australian Aboriginal mythology. And guys, I am not the smartest person. So I honestly have no idea if the word Aboriginal or native, like which one is the PC term, or which one is offensive, or if either are offensive or both are okay. I genuinely don't know. So if I offend anybody, please, I am not trying to. I am so sorry if I do, okay? I am just repeating what is in the articles. But my goal here is not to offend anybody, just educate you. Okay, this creature is said to live slash lurk in swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and water holes, and even wells. What's a billabong? I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> and if any of you don't know, according to Wikipedia, a billabong is an Australian term for an oxbow lake. It's an isolated pond left behind after a river changes course. It leaves the former branch of the river with as a dead end, basically, with water still in it. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I don't know if this is true, but in my head, I would imagine that it would be a bunch of stagnant water and probably yeah. loaded up with mosquitoes. Oh, God, yeah. Like, all I can think of is, ooh, you are asking for some malaria. Uh, to me, all mosquitoes carry malaria. I'm, I'm just an educated swine. Don't worry about it. But uh, the whole thing about its habitat is about the only thing in Bunya Blore that is consistent across the board. So the name of it has been known to vary from tribe to tribe, but we are just going to call it the bunyip today for my own sanity. And the word bunyip is usually translated as devil or evil spirit in today's, you know, world and terminology. But apparently this might not be 100% accurate to its role in original mythology 
And I've, I've got a little bit of a note a little further down here on what I'm reading. There was a word which was spelled B-A-H-N-Y-I-P. So Bonyip, I guess is how you would say it. Uh, it first showed up in an Australian newspaper called the Sydney Gazette back in 1812. And according to this article, it's pretty easy to infer that they were talking about the same cryptid that we're discussing here. Because the term was used to describe, quote, a large... Black animal, like a seal, with a terrible voice, end quote. And the biggest indicator is the terrible voice. According to some, the bunyip is a bloodthirsty killer. But, you know, lucky for us, I guess, it typically attacks at night. So while we're all safe in our homes, that's when it decides it's going to go out on the prowl. And it li lays, lies, I don't know the proper grammar of that word, guys, I'm sorry. Hangs it waits. Out. Yeah, it just... It lays down in the on the ground and it just kind of waits for um, any animals or people to wander nearby so that it can chomp down and eat them. Like, it's a predator and I don't know why, but what it looks like in my head is predator. Like, from the movie. Yeah. Like, that's all I'm seeing in my head right now. Oh, oh, and this thing actually has preferences of what it eats. What? Yeah. So, like, say we're walking in a swamp and a bunyip is waiting to, to pounce and to chomp on us. It would eat me before it would eat you. Because it likes the sweet, quote-unquote, flesh of women and children. That's what it prefers. So this thing has an M.O.? I guess. But I just want to know <laughs> why. Like, are, are we supposed to be more tender? Is that why? I guess we're, we men, we're just... You're too gamey. We're too gamey. You're just too gamey. That's why we play too many video games. We're too gamey. Yeah, that was a miss on that one. Uh, yeah, sorry. And we're chewy. Maybe a little too hairy. Maybe. I don't know. I think it would go after you because you do play video games. Like, if somebody played, if a guy played sports, maybe it wouldn't. Maybe that's the key. I need to start working out. Then I would be too gamey. It wouldn't like me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not working out. The bunyip has been described, and I'm sorry for all the times I say bunyip. I just, I like it. Bunyip. Sounds like fun dip. Funyuns and buns. Aw, fun dip. It, it does sound like an adorable little kawaii snack. Yeah. Either that or like a cute little kawaii puffball. It doesn't sound like it would be big and scary at all. No. But that's because we're American and we use fun words to make cute things, you know? Or to describe cute things. But this guy, I'm going to say it's a guy. I don't know. And by guy, I mean strictly gender neutral term here. It's been described as aggressive, clearly, and it supposedly has supernatural powers, like having the ability to alter water levels, because, you know, evaporation's not a thing. It can debilitate its victims with a roar, well, I can see how, and it can hypnotize humans and use them as their slaves. I would take that over being eaten, and I honestly don't want either. So what's it do? Hypnotize a person? Be like, hey, you guys should totally check out this swamp. You know what? That's not a bad idea. But that would also mean that a bunyip isn't just a creature. Like, it's very sentient and self-aware. Which makes it more dangerous. Yeah. But, I mean, either way, that's going to be a hard pass. For me. No, thank you. When you said aggressive, all I could think of is, well, look, I don't think it could be a passive-aggressive predator. And even though it likes to eat live prey, it is rather considerate because it lets out a terrifying howl before it attacks. So it lets its prey know that um, it's about to meet its demise or that we're about to meet our demise, you know, as people. Great. Cool. But here's the biggest thing. Nobody actually knows what it looks like. My guess is because anyone who's actually seen it has been eaten and didn't live to tell anybody what it actually looked like or... There are a multitude of cryptids in Australia, and everybody just uses the word bunyip to... The broad spectrum. Right, like an umbrella term. But, I mean, either way, these cryptids or this cryptid has the same MO, basically, and same habitat. And now I'm going to tell you what it might look like, and you're about to be as confused as I am. Because I'm going to tell you that this thing could literally look like anything. And no, I don't mean it's a shapeshifter. So there are some drawings from the early aboriginals that show some type of creature with what looks like a horse tail, flippers, and walrus tusks. And Do what? Yeah. And I think that that's believed to be a depiction of a bunyip. Now here's the deal, okay? If it's got, like, 
other animal parts and kind of Frankenstein into its own creature, my brain instantly goes to platypus. That's what I was thinking. See, yeah. But the size of the platypus is all off from how this is described. Some legends say it's covered in feathers, and others say it's covered in scales like a crocodile. The size, like the actual physical size of it, depends on who you ask. It has been said to be as big as an elephant to as small as a large dog. Large dog isn't very specific. Like, are we talking, like, a lab or a St. Bernard? Hmm. Sometimes it's an oversized snake with a beard and a mane. So I guess, like, imagine a lion's mane on a snake face. That's hilarious to me. Unless I met it, then I would be scared. I wanted to think of a snake with, like, a really nice beard and, like, a mustache going on. Okay, a hipster snake. Yeah, some very suave haircut. Sure, yeah, okay. But there are no, like, consistent traits when you ask people. Sometimes this thing looks like it's half human, but larger than a man, covered with fur, and with a bird's head and a long neck. So, a bird giraffe man dog. I like the irony of what you just said. It's, it looked half human but larger than a man <laughs> that's how Think it was about described it. i know but the irony of it <laughs> how is that ha- ironic because it's half human but larger than a man like if you're trying to think of like how to describe its size it's half a human but not- larger than a man <laughs> oh you mean physically like yeah. the size of half a man no 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 okay I got it now. That's no. such like the broad spectrum. You know, it's funny. We're making more jokes in this one than the last episode, and we're not even punchy right now. It's actually still daylight outside. What's wrong with us? Sugar. We had s'mores. We did. Remember last week when we said we'd have s'mores? Here we are. Mission accomplished. Done. Oh, and others say it has a horse head and a long body. The, there's no real other definition or explanation in that one. Like, there's... Does it have feet? Wait, so it went from having a horse tail, now it has horse a horse head. head. So maybe this thing is kind of part horse somewhere? I don't know. Guys, if you're in Australia, can you please clarify, like, what is your region's tail of the bunyip? Like, we're not making fun of the actual tail of the bunyip itself, like, the the lore and the legend. It's just, there are so many ways to describe this thing. We are so confused. All right, finally, we're getting to a backstory. Kind of. Okay. One of the backstories for this thing says that there was once a man named Bunyip. First of all, who's naming their kid that? I want to meet this person. Whoever named their child Bunyip, because that is the most fun name. Like, your child cannot be sad when they say their name. It's great. Anyway, he ate the rainbow serpent's totem animal. I don't know what the totem animal was, and I'm not quite sure what the rainbow serpent was. It has to do with ancient lore, and probably, like, their lore of creation, I'm assuming. But that was breaking the serpent's greatest law. And the serpent banished Bunyip and transformed him into an evil spirit that would lure tribesmen and their animals into the water and consume them. This kind of feels like a siren. Yeah. How they lure, how they would lure men into the water and like kill them? Or lure men to, the ro- to yeah. bash themselves against the rocks? If it's an evil spirit, maybe it kind of picks and chooses what it wants to look like. That is possible. I didn't even think about that. Like, maybe it actually can shapeshift. And it changes into that person's greatest combination of fears. Ooh. No, Ooh. thank you. Although, if I were an evil spirit, that is exactly the power I would want. Yep. And even though it is usually described as a predator and full of bad intentions, there are some tribes that see it as a benevolent entity that just dishes out justice to people who commit evil acts and the bunyip protects wildlife. Which honestly kind of sounds like a combination of the Thunderbird and the Wampus Cat, which we covered. Another newspaper called The Australian, which I appreciate because that is a straightforward (laughs) newspaper name, you know? They had an article in 1851 about a bunyip getting speared after it killed an aboriginal man. I don't know who speared it, but it killed an aboriginal man. Somebody speared it. And in this article, its size was reported as being 11 paces long and four paces wide, which is pretty big. I mean, That's take, pretty big. Yeah. Paces would be like feet, right? Like actual steps. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and this is the best part. So, you know, 
you hear about all of these ways that the bunyip could look and it's horrifying right. this combination of creatures is horrifying and like if it has the body of a snake or whatever you think oh it could constrict its victims or maybe it's venomous no 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 although constricting might actually fall in with how it kills its victims here so what happens when it kills its prey while the thing supposedly has long claws so it can like easily kill its prey if it wanted to its preferred method is to crush its victims by quote unquote hugging them to death that is some aggressive love bunyip yeah i love you to death some of the earliest sightings describe the bunyip as having numerous eyes actually the article that i read said countless eyes that's how many there were sharp claws which you know falls into line with the description of having sharp claws but hugging fast speed i imagine it would because it would have to be faster than its prey and its howl is described as a hollow boom. I don't know exactly what that means. But I can imagine it, and it's not pleasant. Other people have said that it has one large eye on its head and a mouth on its stomach. Which, we were talking about all real monsters earlier, yeah. and I, we were talking about Crumb. To me, you know how, if if you've ever seen all real monsters, you know what we're talking about. If not... Look it up. It's a Nickelodeon show from the 90s. We're showing our age. And watch it. It's a great show. Oh, it's great. If you like dark, twisted stuff, do it. But Crumb is, like, very short, and he's just basically all torso. He doesn't actually have a head. His stomach is on his... His mouth is on his stomach, and he carries his two eyeballs above his head. So, basically, it sounds to me like Crumb with just one eyeball. Oh, yeah. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Or on that... uh those- Later episodes of Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, no. Where, was it? It's Greed, right? No, Gluttony. Gluttony. The one that gorged himself on everybody? Yeah. That's Gluttony. Where his actual stomach opens up. Yes. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Mm, that was that was a pretty difficult thing to see. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it would be a difficult thing to see and or endure from this thing, too. Now, a description from 1845. I've noticed that most of this is from, like, early to mid-1800s. Thank goodness. Uh, The description from 1845 said that the creature lays large, pale blue eggs. Oh, that sounds pretty. Which means that it reproduces, though. Oh, no. Anyway. There's multiple bunyips? I guess. Uh, It had deadly claws. Still consistent. Oh, we found another consistent. see. It had powerful back legs, which, again, would make sense because... To pounce. And its chest was brightly colored, which sounds nice. And the egg thing seems less weird, if that's possible, when you uh, find out that this description had the bunyip with a head of an emu. So there's the bird head. Hmm. But specifically now, it's an emu. And feathers. Oh, and feathers. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that this next thing I'm about to say is probably because the bunyip has been described as being slash looking like so many different things. But the word bunyip has been used as a synonym for imposter or pretender. That sells me on the shape-shifting. Maybe. And the last recorded sighting of one of these things was way back in the day in 1890. So, you know, Australia might be a little bit safer now. So if they're gone and Australia, you know, takes care of the whole spider problem, that's... And caterpillars. Then we're good to go. We're good to go. And as crazy as this creature sounds, there may actually be some truth behind the myth. There are some actual creatures that researchers think may be what's mistaken for the bunyip. Erin, do you want to hear what they might be? Absolutely. (laughs) It could be a type of giant otter that hasn't been discovered yet. Like, scientifically discovered yet. A man-eating otter. Hey, you know what? Otters kill. And they do other things that we're not going to discuss on this podcast. But I am very disappointed in otters. It could also be a yet-to-be-scientifically-discovered freshwater seal. The sound. Oh... Because it makes that hollow boom, like that Yeah. howl. Um, it could be a diprotodon, which has been extinct for some 20,000 years now. But it was the size of a rhino, so that could account for the size of it. However, the diprotodon apparently was an herbivore. 
So it could just be a relative of the actual Diprotodon. It could be the Australian fur seal, which cries out in a similar way to how the bunyip cries when it, meaning the seal, is trapped inland by flooding. Or it could be a, I hope I'm saying this right, Procoptodon, which is a prehistoric giant kangaroo whose fossils indicate that they weighed more than 5.8 kilograms or 500 pounds. Holy crap, that's a giant kangaroo. That's a quarter of a ton. So yeah. That's a quarter. <laughs> you try. I love you because you try. Or, oh, sorry. But you know what? What? It makes sense for peop- for the people to think it has a mouth on its stomach if it's if, a giant kangaroo. Because of the pouch. Because it's a marsupial. Yeah. Now, there is another theory that it could just be an undocumented marsupial which makes sense that could even if it's not you know kangaroo there are other marsupials that means it has a pouch so maybe but it don't make sense for the kangaroo to be dropping eggs or to have a bird's head but i like the marsupial thing that works and if you want to go back to the whole cryptid kind of thing it could actually be a relative of an irish cryptid which is the irish crocodile that's found in you guessed it Ireland. And there is even a bit of folklore that claims that the bunyip may have been part of the Great Deluge. What's that? The Great Flood, which is actually found in many, many um, cultures and religions. Even Christianity has the Great Deluge, if you will, with Noah's Ark. Ah. Now, with this, the story of the bunyip in the deluge. Now, this is directly from the article from yowiehunters.com.au. It says, quote, A group of men supposedly caught and imprisoned a small bunyip, making its mother so angry she flooded the land until it covered everything. The humans that managed to escape were turned into black swans, end quote. But I just think that's really neat. Like, that is pretty cool. So many cultures have the same story of a great flood. And there is, of course... The biggest disappointing theory of what the bunyip could be. It's also the most logical, sadly. No, not logic. I know. It could just be that the bunyip is a group or singular, I'm guessing a group of brigands and bums. And I am quoting the article. I am not calling anybody a brigand or a bum here. That's like living out in the the swamp areas. And making the noise and spreading the legends and the lore to keep people away from their territory. Uh. Or it could be a uh, serial killer living out there because people get killed by the bunyip, so... It does have an M.O. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That is Australia's Swamp Monster. Bunyip. I had to say it one more time. It, what gets me is that I just... I'm terrified of how it sounds, but then you say the word and you can't be scared of it anymore. It's so confusing. Can we call it something terrible like bloody sharp tooth Frankenstein of the swamp? That would keep me away. But you say, hey, there's a bunny about there. I'm going hunting for it. It's like, oh, what's that adorable little creature? Exactly. But that's it. Now we're going to time travel to France, the 16th century. Cute time traveling music. So how do we feel about the 16th century before I get into this? Mm. What was what was, uh, what was going on then? 1700s, mm. I think. Yeah, no, 1500s, 1500s. I'm going backwards here. I'm so sorry. What was what was life back then? Dirty, full of plagues. I think. I don't know how France was. I just imagine people didn't really bathe back then very often. There were probably some communicable diseases that could be easily cured today that people died from within a week back then you know what we don't feel great about 16th century i'm just gonna say if there was no toilet paper or toothbrushes it probably wasn't something we would want to live through what about sandwiches i don't know when the sandwich was invented should i find out if they didn't have them i could i'm i'm good 1762 they didn't have sandwiches (sighs) nope we're gonna pass on that century so how do we feel about france though we're okay with france Overall, I, I, I mean, they got food. Good food. Yeah. No sandwiches, but... Well, not them, but they have them now. They got plenty of sandwiches now. Good. Yeah. Also, it's where Beauty and the Beast is set. 
and that's my favorite Disney movie, so I feel pretty good about it. But what I don't feel good about is uh, our next cryptid. Are you ready? Ready. Are you as ready as you can be? Always ready as I can be. Okay, Aaron, our second cryptid of the day is the Rougarou. Rougarou. Which sounds really fun. It's not. You know what? That almost kind of sounds like, uh, what, if a, like a wolf or like a, a dog? Like Yeah. But the Rougarou is actually found in Louisiana. I believe that there's some lore in Canada as well, but we're, mon- we're, we're focusing on Louisiana. But, you know, the reason I asked about 16th century in France is because we need to go back to its origins. So all information on this furry beast was collected from pelicanstateofmind.com, nolaweekend.com, or N-O-L-A for New Orleans, Louisiana, um, paranormal-encounters.com, again, werewolfs.com. It's a real website. It sounds cute. It's not. It's a paranormal investigation site. But say it with me, werewolfs. Werewolfs. I know. And witchesbrewtours.com. You know what? There should be like a, a werewolf hunting website called Wolf There It Is. I'm going to pretend you didn't say that and move on to the history of the Rougarou, which was originally called the Lugarou in the, you know, ye old French times. I'm sure it's still called that in France today because it's a French word, which actually translates into, it's their word for werewolf. So we're talking about werewolves. Fun? Yeah. Yeah. Now, while some people in Europe were out burning witches, hanging witches, generally torturing innocent people for being a witch. France was doing that too, probably, but they were spicing things up a little better than the rest of Europe. So anytime there was anything criminal, like a home invasion, a child that went missing, you know, basically anything that nowadays would demand a good old-fashioned police work, (laughs) they decided that they were going to blame it on the Lugaru. So kids go missing, werewolf got them. Somebody broke into your house, it was a werewolf, because regular people don't do that. Because, I mean, criminals, (laughs) what are those? Werewolf broke into my house. (laughs) You're telling me that people might actually be evil? No. No, only werewolves. Yeah, only werewolves. And apparently witches, given this day and age. Do you know who was considered a werewolf back then, Aaron? Um... Basically anybody that acted strangely. So I would hate to, like, be in that day and age and just be ourselves because we are strange individuals as it is. Werewolves. We're werewolves now. Great. Also, if they found anybody out in the woods, they would call them, they would just deem that person a werewolf. I don't know if that means that the person was living in the woods or that they hunted in the woods or if they had, like, a nice little cottage in the woods. It didn't matter. They were a werewolf. At least in, you know, my brain. They don't want to live in society. (gasps) A werewolf. (laughs) So basically, either way, this was a witch hunt just not in high as in in as high of a volume as actual witch hunts and here's the kicker you know how like we have our trials nowadays we have a jury of our peers and we have somebody to defend us and somebody to prosecute us and we have a judge to call the overall verdict cool they didn't have that what they did was they took the person that they believed to be a werewolf into the public square basically have the public come out of their homes and ask everybody do you believe this person's a werewolf and more times than not the general public would vote for a guilty verdict and say yes that person indeed is a werewolf because if anybody went against the grain they might fall under quote-unquote suspicion of being a werewolf or a witch that's totally the smartest oh yeah killing it guys And uh, the French Catholics would go around telling people that if they failed to observe Lent for seven years in a row, that they would become a Lugarou. Wait, what? Yeah, so I guess it means that, okay, if you don't give up something for Lent for six years in a row, you're fine. But that seventh year, you better observe it Mm. or you are donezo. And uh, I just need to ask somebody... Where is the passage of this in the Bible? I need to know. Where is that fun little chapter that says, by the way, if you don't follow ritual for seven years straight, the Lord will turn you into a werewolf. Because I totally missed that chapter at some point. I'm just going to say, if that was legit... There would be a lot of werewolves in the world. Yeah. 
Or flip side, there wouldn't be a lot of werewolves because people would be absolutely terrified of becoming one. True. But there would also be a lot of people going to church and observing rituals, but their heart's not in it, so it doesn't really mean anything. So I don't know. It's just, I don't know. And I I just want to say that scaring people into practicing religious traditions and rituals, you're not doing anybody any favors. I don't understand 16th century people. I don't get it, but okay. Oh, and nothing says, I am a good parent, like telling your child that a Lugaroo would come steal them away in the middle of the night and possibly eat them if they don't listen to you. (laughs) You know how here we're like, Santa's not going to come visit if you're not good. That is so tame. You have in Germany the story of Krampus, and then here you have the Lugaroo. These poor kids. Poor children. And also, what if your parent was a psycho person, like a complete maniac, and said, Hey, little Johnny, I want you to go kill Mary down the street. If you don't listen to me, a werewolf's gonna come get you. You're putting your kid between a rock and a hard place. What are they supposed to pick here? Oh, wow. I mean, talk about a crisis. A child would need their crisis crayons, Aaron. They wouldn't need crisis crayons. Unbelievable. Or I could think of, like, the the really mischievous uh, parent that their child misbehaves you're like okay well he's coming for you tonight and then dressing up um either dressing up or waiting until they're the kids asleep and then grab them by the legs and just yank them out of bed and lead them to believe that that thing has come to get take them away so scare them into submission in the most petrifying way possible yes got it and that's why we're not parents because you thought of that you would do it you're right. Yeah. And so, like I said, eventually the French began to migrate to Canada and the U.S., namely Louisiana, and the legend, or possibly the cursed beast itself, followed. And of course, this legend began to morph into that of the Rougarou, which fit into the times and the region. And it's said that the Rougarou can be in the shape of a man, a dog, or a man-dog hybrid. But at least the legends are consistent. At least we know what this thing's going to look like. Yeah. And... The Rougarou is said to live in the Acadiana region and the greater New Orleans area swamps. Swamp monsters! Swamps. There's our theme. Do you know what Acadiana is? Absolutely not. So, for anyone who doesn't know what the Acadiana or Acadiana region is, it is a region of Louisiana in the south and southwest of the state, and it's sometimes called Cajun country. Ah! So that's where we get, like, all the good Cajun cooking and stuff from. Mm. Bojangles. I was gonna say gumbo, but okay. Oh, and jambalaya. Mm. I love jambalaya. Jumbo. Jumbo jambalaya. Jambalaya with jumbo shrimp? Huh? Yes. Okay. Back to our story. Thank you for listening. Cajun legend says that the Rougarou goes after Catholics that don't follow the rules of Lent, so I guess you don't actually get the luxury of missing any years now. It just says for people who don't observe Lent. Period. Yay. Wait, hold on. I'm grateful we're not Catholic. Shouldn't that really kind of sort itself out? What do you mean? Because you're either killed by one for not practicing in the first place, or you're transformed into one if you get lucky enough not to get killed by one in the seventh year. But no, no, no. The Cajun one doesn't give you the seventh year luxury. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's any year, apparently. Oh. From what I infer. And this next part sounds like a good time for the Rougarou. Because legend says that... Oh, that was sarcasm. Because legend says that it's under a 101-day curse usually bestowed by a witch or a voodoo priestess. Hmm. I mean, apparently Rougarous and witches go hand in hand, no matter where you're at in the world, because there's always the mention of a witch. And I don't know if that means that this curse ends on its 101st day, or if it becomes, like, fully permanent, but during the 101 days, you can avoid being cursed, I guess permanently, by transferring it to another person. And you transfer this to another person by having them cut you and draw blood. So my advice, if you happen to be a Rougarou, find your arch nemesis and tick them off. Because then they'll cut you, draw your blood, 
they'll be cursed as a Rougarou and you'll be home free. So you win on multiple levels here. Now, if you are a Rougarou, while the curse is active and there's a hundred and some odd Well, days, I mean, you can't transfer it before it happens. That's a good point. Yeah. So if someone cuts you... Now, they have to cut and draw blood. They can't just graze you. Okay. Then they get to become one. The and one it, who cuts you does, yes. And it's off of you. Right. You're transferring it. Now, do they instantly become one, like transform, if they cut? I don't know, because legend, I mean, I read some articles that say a Rougarou can transform at will, so mm. I don't know. I don't know if it's a thing that you have to, like, adjust to and learn how to transform at will, or if it's under a full moon. I don't actually know. But I just say take your take your glories and your wins where you can get them, because if... I'm pretty sure that they're going to have to actually go through the painful transformation to change from human into a Rougarou if it is an immediate thing once they cut you. So I'm pretty sure you got a couple seconds to get away once you turn back human. Unless you're knocked out cold, and in that case, oops. Now, is shooting one fair game? It says cutting. It says you have to cut to transfer. Okay, so blowing a hole through it, you're peachy. I think you can kill it that way makes sense yeah i mean you've got the whole werewolf legend too and that's not in here but the werewolf legend of the silver bullet yeah but i imagine just shooting it would kill it anyway yeah i can't imagine a lot of things surviving a blast from a shotgun no now here's the deal you can be changed into one without being cursed if you are personally attacked by a rougarou or if you stare into its evil gaze like medusa but instead of stone, you turn into a fellow Rougarou. Okay, so I'm going with a gun to kill it. But okay. now I have to blindly aim. Right. Or just avoid looking at it in the eyes. I mean, if you're socially awkward like we are, you probably wouldn't look it in the eyes anyway. Social awkwardness for the win in that mm. one, you know. I would, I, I would just go with trying to be cool like Bruce Campbell on uh, Evil Dead and like put my boomstick, like point it behind me and just pull the trigger now here's my question about the evil gaze thing so could you basically possibly pull a hermione and use a mirror uh. to like look at it where it's at in the mirror behind you and just kind of have to do everything backwards i don't know that's for, that's a pretty interesting idea i mean i don't want to be the one to find out in case it doesn't work but oh and another way to break this curse is to remain silent for a year and a day so I, I don't know if that means 366 days or does that count if it's a leap year? I don't know. Would that be 367? I don't know. But I'm also not 100% sure if that means like monk vow of silence can't say anything ever or just not mention your Rougarou attack for that long. Because that sounds a lot easier to do. Yeah. Now one story that I read did say that it was just being silent about the incident it's a legend of a woman who gets told by her husband, don't go out near the swamps. They're newlyweds. She doesn't listen. She goes up by the swamps, gets attacked by the Rougarou, doesn't tell her husband because she doesn't want to be found out that she didn't listen to him. So under the full moon, every month she would go lock herself in their building. And after a year and a day had passed, uh, she he said, have you been out by the swamps? She said, no, I haven't. He says, I know you have because I'm the one that attacked you. And now we're both, the curse is broken for both of us. So I don't know if it was. Oh, wow. But that's just that one time. So I don't know if it means that you have to be completely silent or just silent on that matter. Did his nose just whistle? His nose did just whistle. I hope it picked that up. I love him so much. Just in case you haven't figured it out, guys, we adore our dog. He is so fresh. He's so wrinkly. And his nose whistles. And like I said, if you manage to stay silent for that long, the curse is broken for you and the person who turned you. So you're helping more than just yourself. Oh, and this is just like a little side fact or what have you. But the Rougarou is such a famous legend that there is a Rougarou fest on the last weekend of October. And is it Homa? Huma? I don't know how to pronounce it. But it's a place in Louisiana. That's cool. I mean, what a way to spend, like, your Halloween weekend, you know? At a Rougarou Fest. Let's do this. 
I want to go to one. Me too. And uh, I'm sure you're asking yourself now, and if you're not, you're going to be asking yourself when I mention it. How do I protect myself from being attacked by a Rougarou? Well, first of all, by staying in your house. See, social distancing protects you not just from viruses, but from cryptids and evil beasts. Because what you do is you place 13 small objects outside your door, or doors if you have multiple doors leading outside, and it could be a colander, like, because the holes, you don't have to place, like, 13 individual things. You can place a colander. Apparently, a Rougarou, not in its human form, but a Rougarou, can't count past the number 12. Which I think it's impressive that a, a dog-man hybrid can count at all. <laughs> but they can't p- count past 12, apparently. I guess that's because, you know, our day split up into 12-hour segments. And 12 months of the year, I don't know. I don't know a lot of things. But what will happen is it will reach 12. It will not know the number 13, get confused, and have to start all over. So it's going to keep doing this all night until the sun comes up. And once the sun comes up, it's forced to flee. Here's the thing, though. I, I wouldn't recommend making those 13 items food. Because once they eat one piece, it would then be 12. They could count it and move on with their night, you know? Ah, uh, yeah. I wonder if that's ever happened to someone like, I don't have 13 objects, but I've got 13 pieces of bread. And they eat like the one piece of bread and it's down to 12 and they can count that and they move on and they eat the person that put the bread outside. See, this is why I don't come up with legends because this is the way we think. Yeah. I read that one weakness that the Rougarou might have is fire and I'm just going to throw this out there. I don't know any things that anything whose weakness isn't fire. Like, everything can catch on fire at some point, right? Yeah. Like, every living being should have an aversion to being set ablaze. Yeah. So I guess that's, you know, pretty logical. You wave a big torch at it, it's going to back away. Oh, you know what that feels like? Those weird spider creatures in The Name of the Wind. Oh, yeah. Where both has the, the fire... Also, on the off chance that Patrick Rothfuss ever listens to this, sir, we're waiting. Are you waiting? Are you waiting, Aaron? Definitely waiting. Book three. We're waiting. Oh, and there is a theory that I found on werewolfs.com. I had to throw that in there because it's so fun to say (laughs) that being a Rougarou is a genetic defect that some people have and their transformation is actually triggered by bouts of extreme anger, sadness, or grief. But you won't actually become a full-fledged Rougarou until you consume human flesh. That sounds a little bit like a Wendigo. Yeah. Like you become a Wendigo and you eat flesh, you know? We should do an episode on that, too. We should. But I also want to know, does the Rougarou have a preference to, like, who it eats? Or bites? Because, I mean, the Bunyip does. That's a good question. The Bunyip prefers children and women. And also kind of wondering, because, I mean... that's a choice to eat someone. Well, I mean, animals work on instinct. So when you become a Rougarou, are you running on instinct? Or is there still some human aspect to your mind? So like, are you making a choice or are you just trying to survive? Or is it, is it like um, Tokyo Ghoul where he gets like that constant craving for flesh because he can't eat anything else? Who knows? So we're going to go on to sightings and encounters or whatever you want to call this. Close encounters. Of the furry kind. (laughs) Oh, no, not the furry kind. No, no. I'm sorry I said that. That sounds like some kind of... Uh, Yeah. Anyway, there was a woman who gave an interview. And this woman is giving an interview of a legend, I guess. She gave an interview with a local college paper, wherever she was. And she told about a time that a local boy was being followed home by a dog. Now, in her tale, I think the dog was just, like, really irritating the boy. But in another iteration of it, it attacked the boy. So, in one telling, this kid is a monster. And in another, the kid's justified. But he pulls out a knife on the dog and stabs it. So, if the dog was just being an an annoying dog... That child is a serial killer waiting to happen. Yeah, I know, right? If the dog attacked the boy, I can understand. But also, how old was this boy and why did he have a knife? Now, what if he... That's why I can't write legends. I've asked too many questions. Stabbed the dog and the dog 
bit him, like attacked him, you know. Well, either way, well, I don't think the dog attacked him after he stabbed it because the dog immediately transformed into a man. Oh. Yeah. We're still talking about the Ruger here. I mean, come on. So this boy is like immediately freaked out that this fuzzy creature is now a dude on the ground. Who wouldn't be? So he just books it. He's like, nope, not, I am not facing this crazy reality. I'm going to go home and tell mama what happened. So I've been traumatized. He's been traumatized. So he went home and told his parents or his family or whoever he was living with. And the woman who was telling the story to this paper, she said, quote, The next day, a prominent physician appeared in town with his right arm cut and in a sling. She said, she continues with, I remember when the physician shot himself here in Lockport. Okay, it was in Lockport, Louisiana. And a year later, the boy killed himself and left a letter that the family turned over to the sheriff. Even today, he, I'm assuming means the sheriff, refuses to let anyone see it, end quote. Now, look, even if these suicides were a coincidence or if they if they actually happened, no matter what the reason, the suicides, I mean, that is awful. That is terrible. And I am so sorry to the families who are left behind. And I'm so sorry to the people who felt that the need to do this to themselves because there is no need to ever do this to yourself. But, Wait yeah. a minute. He just cursed himself. He drew blood. Yeah, he The sta- boy drew blood. He stabbed it and drew blood. <gasps> so he turned into a Rougarou. Oh, that's terrible. But then the physician shouldn't be a Rougarou anymore and he killed himself. That's... I don't care. That's sad. That is a very sad story. Okay, so just to be clear, so my mind's catching up. Sure. The boy killed himself. Yes, as, the, as did the doctor. Okay. So... Maybe the boy realized what he did, didn't want to become a Rougarou. No, no, no. He killed himself a year after the doctor did. So he was alive long, well long enough to have been a Rougarou. Okay. Maybe he decided he didn't want to be a Rougarou anymore. I don't think this is true, thank goodness. Yeah. But I'm just trying to think of, like, in a... Like, if this was a story. Right. If the boy became the Rougarou from stabbing the other, the doctor. Right. Didn't realize exactly that that was transference. Right. Was a Rougarou for a while. Maybe did something. Maybe killed someone. Or two. Or two. Or Prob- five. I could see the reasoning behind that for sure. Like, coming to the next day and realizing what you've done. Yeah. And realizing what you've become. Yeah, I can understand it, but I don't know. I just kind of wish whoever said the story had left out the suicide aspect. It just, it bothers me so deeply. Like, even fictional characters to me, like, if there's any chance that these people were real, it bothers me so deeply. I'm just, people matter. I don't want people hurting themselves. Mm -mm. That's my big takeaway from that. But on to weirder pastures. Back in 1996, a woman named Barbara Mullins was driving along in Derrider, I guess, Louisiana, and she saw a furry mass laying on the side of the road. She pulls her car or truck or whatever she's driving over. This is back in 96, mind you, so it's not like a smart car. She pulls it over, puts it in park, and I guess she had a camera with her because she uh, walked over to this thing and took pictures of it. And this mass on the side of the road, it was definitely dead. And it was a dead animal or something of some sort. According to her, it was unidentifiable. Now, some people believe it could have been a Rougarou. Some people think that it could have been a feral Pomeranian. (laughs) (laughs) As crazy as it is. I mean, either way, something was struck probably by a car and it died on the side of the road. But she went and uploaded these images to the internet, I imagine very slowly, because it's 1996. And that's when people were like, dude, that's a Pomeranian. And you can actually look these images up online. And now here's the thing. The way she stood when she took these photos, she said that this was a very, very large creature, okay? Right. Now, in some angles, it looks like a pretty big thing. 
And you know, Pomeranians are relatively tiny. Yeah. Now, at other angles, it looks like it could be about the size of a Pomeranian. So it's really difficult to tell. Because she didn't have anything beside it necessarily for scale. Right, right. So. And also, just saying, if it was this big dead werewolf on the road, mm-hmm. I just feel like stories where like just the one person saw it, it's hard to really feel like it's justifiable because I feel like more, it, it's a road. People traverse through it every day. Not just one person's going to run into this. That's true. But like I said, she also uploaded those images onto the internet. So she's not technically the only person to have seen it. But hear me out, okay? When she uploaded those photos, she actually gave her account of what happened. And she said that this thing was the size of a St. Bernard. And at first, she thought it was, in fact, a dog. But then, when she got out of the car to investigate it, she thought it looked a little bit like a baboon. But then she said that the tail and its butt didn't look like a baboon's. The face resembled the baboon, but had a, had canine features too, like pointed fangs and a dog nose. Its tail was thicker than a baboon's, and its rear was covered in matted fur. She said that the ears were shorter than a dog's, but here's the thing about Pomeranians, they have short ears. And she said that its front paws more resembled hands, I assume like a baboon, since she's apparently saying this is basically a dog-baboon hybrid. (laughs) And its back feet actually looked like paws. And like I said, you can look up these images. I honestly don't see what she saw. All I see is a big mass of matted fur. That's all I see. But because there is photographic evidence, if you will, it's not just a legend. Like she, she actually exists and these images are actually real. Whether or not it was a hoax or if it was a Pomeranian or a werewolf, I'm just saying the fact that a woman in real life actually pulled over to the side of the road and had this some kind of experience. Now, Barbara stuck by her word and claimed that her account and her photos were 100% authentic, but the perspective, like I said, it was just weird because of the angles and I don't know. I just don't know. But that's it. And if you decide to look up the images, let us know what you think. Does it look big? Does it look small? Does it look like a Pomeranian? I've never seen a dark brown Pomeranian, but I don't know that they don't exist. All I've ever seen is like the fluffy little white ones. Look like little cotton balls. week we've covered another two cryptids so that's what six now something like that no we've done more than six we've done six together oh yeah yep i think seven because we did the cracking and stuff too and that's it i keep saying that's it i'm sorry i'm getting tired but we hope you enjoyed this lovely break of reality from reality i can't english And as always, guys, if you want to reach out and discuss previous episodes or this episode or any paranormal or true crime stories, or if you have any paranormal and true crime stories that you want to share with us, and if you want it read on the show, whatever, feel free to reach out to us and have a discussion. Because that invitation is always open. And you can reach us at crimeandtheory at gmail.com. And if you like us and you, you know, want to see hints for um, I can't speak. If you want to see hints for upcoming episodes or images from previous ones, feel free to follow us on Instagram at Crime and Theory Pod. And there's actually a highlight on that page that will tell you all of the other places you could follow us if you feel like, like whether you want to follow us personally or if you want to follow us on Facebook or Twitter, all that mess. And if you're new here and care to catch up on any previous episodes, you can find all of the other episodes exactly where you are now. And if you don't like the platform you're on, you can just go search somewhere else too. We should be there. All the places. And honestly, if you wouldn't mind just taking a minute, like if you're on iTunes and you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review and rate, then uh, we'd really appreciate that. Because, you know, it helps us get out there, helps us expand our creepy community. 
And also, word of mouth. Guys, if you have any relatives or friends that you think might enjoy us, please tell them. Because you can't know what you don't know. So if you tell them, then they'll know about us and they might listen. And we'll all be one big happy family together of weirdos. (laughs) Not that you're weirdos. We're the weirdos here. Let us be the weirdos in your life. Yeah, because we're the good weirdos. We're not like the weirdos with criminal records and stuff, you know? We're not those people. But, yep. I think that's all I got to say. Aaron, you got anything? I'm leaving this with don't stab dogs. Yeah, that's a good idea because, I mean, if a dog's just bothering you and you stab it to get it to stop, then you're the problem, dude. Yeah. Yep. And don't hang around swamps. I mean, they're dangerous. Yeah. I mean, also, even if the cryptids aren't there, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. You ever had a mosquito bite? They're not pleasant. They're very itchy. Also, some mosquitoes carry malaria. That's not safe. We just have your best interest at heart. And, uh, is that it? Yeah, I think so. Alright, well in that case, stay safe this week, guys. Listen to Shrek and keep out of his swamp and all the other swamps. And as always, what do we say, Aaron? Don't get haunted. We will see you guys next Thursday.